Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is sponsored by Book Riot's mystery thriller podcast, Red or Dead. It's spooky season, readers. Get your thrills with Red or Dead, Book Riot's biweekly mystery fiction podcast dedicated to the worlds of mystery and thriller literature. Join hosts and genre experts Rincy and Katie as they catch up on mystery and thriller news, chat about new releases, and recommend your next mystery and thriller reads, including your favorite subgenres like true crime, cozies, procedurals, and all things Halloween appropriate. Get Red or Dead, that's R-E-A-D or Dead, on your podcatcher of choice. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 89, and we are recording on October 2nd. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we're talking about some of our favorite releases from the third quarter of the year. I cannot believe we are already into Q4, but I'm so excited that it is finally spoopy season. <laughs> I'm really excited too, actually. I've been like telling everybody left and right that I was really reluctant to let go of summer because mm-hmm. I'm big on summer, especially in rainy gray Portland. But as soon as I, I, I took a drive out to the gorge, which is this really beautiful area in Portland, and I saw the leaves were changing colors and I was like, okay, I'm ready for this. <laughs> It's so beautiful. (laughs) I just love fall so much and I can't wait for Halloween. So bring it on. Yeah, fall is forever my favorite season. I mean, just it's been since I was a kid. I love fall so much because I love sweaters and I Mm. love Halloween and I love that like crisp air feeling. Um, So yeah, I'm a fan, generally speaking, although I am also nervous about having less outside time because I know know. (laughs) (laughs) everything because we've had so much inside time already. Mm -hmm. We're just gonna have to find creative ways to like stick our heads out into the fresh air you know yeah i will just layer all of i own so many sweaters i'll just wear them on top of each other it'll be fine (laughs) we'll be cool we'll be cool yeah uh okay so before we start talking about our news and get into our picks for the third quarter i'm gonna tell you about our first sponsor which is the audiobook edition of the invisible life of Addie larue by v.e schwab This is in the vein of The Time Traveler's Wife and Life After Life. The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue is New York Times bestselling author V.E. Schwab's genre-defying tour de force. And the audiobook is read by Audi Award-winning narrator Julia Whelan. I love an audiobook, and I do plan to read this book and will probably listen to it on audio because that's how I roll. And this is described as an epic, intimate, ambitious story spanning three centuries, telling the story of a desperate girl who makes a deal with the devil to live as many lives as she can. Does not sound advisable. 
It does not sound like a thing you should do, but makes for a great story. And we just found out yesterday, not to be dipping into news immediately, but we found out yesterday that The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue is getting a film adaptation. So very exciting all around. And if you're a fan and this sounds like your thing, definitely check out the audiobook edition of The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, again by V.E. Schwab. All right, let's talk about some news. Mm. And speaking of adaptations, I wanted to talk about the first look at the TV series adaptation of Colson Whitehead's The Underground Railroad, which I know many of us read back when it came out in 2016. And I had kind of forgotten that there was an adaptation on the way. And they were actually filming, uh, once you read this piece that we're going to link in the show notes, you'll, there's a lot more to it than, than the images, which are, by the way, stunning. And tell me that this is going to be as dramatic as I expect it to be. But also in this piece, they talk about the actual production and what it was like to film this adaptation and Barry Jenkins who did Moonlight and if Beale Street could talk so obviously very good at adapting and writing and directing these very dramatic very heavy stories talked about his personal experience directing the Underground Railroad and talking both about how they had been filming right before the pandemic hit. And I think it, they said it was maybe three days away from finishing filming before it hit and they had to stop, which is really, that must have been really frustrating and difficult. And also talking about how this is one of the most difficult movies he's had to direct because of the actual content. Because if you, in case you don't remember, The Underground Railroad was a book about an enslaved woman who is basically running away to what is like the literal Underground Railroad. So the Underground Railroad is a literal thing. It's an actual subway system. And the story the story follows Cora, who is is running away, and it goes through the horrible trials she has to face in Antebellum South, and getting away from this Georgia plantation. So as you might imagine, really, really difficult thing to film. Very, very tough content. But it looks like this adaptation is going to be amazing. This is coming out from Amazon Studios. And it's a limited series with 11, 11 um, shows or I don't even know what they're called. Episodes. I can't use my words. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So definitely looking forward to this. And also we'll probably have to wait until I am mentally prepared for it. Yeah. No joke. That is is correct. Yeah, this piece, which is from Slash Film, uh, reported by Huay Tran Bui, yes, uh, it like you. has some 
gorgeous photos and 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 yes, yeah, some really moving uh, words from Barry Jenkins. So it's definitely worth checking it out. I had also forgotten this was happening. Uh, so this was a nice. It's nice to hear that it's like wrapped and you know it's gonna be. It's going to be out in the world. So often, yeah. you know, this news is like, someday we'll get this, but this is coming sooner than later. So, yeah. So look out for it. Look out for the news. Definitely check out the photos. It looks stunning. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What do I want to talk about? Well, while we're talking about adaptations, let's talk about The Stand, which has an air date. Uh, this piece I'm referencing is from Tor.com from Andrew Liptak. And CBS has announced an air date for its new adaptation of The Stand, December 17th. So, you know, not so far in the future at this point. It's a <clears throat> nine-episode series. It's going to be on CBS All Access. And This is one of those things where it's like, I've been excited about this since they first announced the news because I was low-key obsessed with the 90s TV show when I was a teenager. And I have not gone back to rewatch it because I have a feeling it probably doesn't hold up well. Mm. Um, But... I, you know, I've been watching the news out of this. The cast is interesting. Um, it is an inclusive cast in in interesting ways. Hopefully that is reflected on the actual show as well as in the cast list. I mean, Whoopi Goldberg is playing Mother Abigail, which is, you know, always a fun time <laughs> when Whoopi is in something. Um But there's a lot of interesting names popping up here in the cast list. And yeah, I just am super curious to see what this looks like when you've adapted it in the modern times. Because, you know, it was the original book by Stephen King was published in 1978. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, it's been a minute. (laughs) And uh, but it's, you know, it's a pandemic story. So that's like intense. And then it's a religious, you know, sort of apocalypse story, which is also really intense. And I just am sort of dying of curiosity of what this is going to look like. I do not actually have CBS All Access. We'll see if I'm curious enough to acquire it. We'll see. Yeah, I don't have it either. So I feel like I have so many streaming services right now. I know. Like, mm, maybe I'll wait until like maybe some other streaming platform will pick it up later. But I didn't, I never watched the 90s, the 90s adaptation. I don't think I even knew about it, which is weird because I feel like all I did when I was a kid is watch TV. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So it'll be fresh for me when I there end you up go. watching it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see if I'm in the mood to watch a pandemic story. Mm. Maybe it'll be far. Well, no, it won't be far in the background. It's December 17th. Things will be in full swing still. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I have this one. Okay. So this next one that I want to talk about (laughs) comes from Inverse uh, by Sarah Wells. And I had this on my list and I was very like tinfoil hat about it. It talks about, it's a very sciencey piece about specialized polymers. But of course, like in the headlines, it's specialized polymers bring us one step closer to cyborgs. And I clicked so fast and then was like, do I want to read this or am I going to become more paranoid? So... (laughs) This article, which is really fascinating because I'm watching a lot of Grey's Anatomy as well, is about the development of this new 
biocompatible polymer coating. And it's for these electro electronic implants for the brain so that they can basically do more to detect certain signals in the brain. And what they're explaining is that the materials we currently use for a lot of these things aren't necessarily, they don't work well with the brain in that they can cause scarring that can mess up the actual signals they're looking for. And so they came up with this biomedical polymer implant that is better adapted because of a, I need to find the word because I am not somebody who knows these things off of the top of their head. It's like a, it, it's basically, it works with the brain. It acts like biological tissue. So it's this coding that's actually like a static avoiding coding that's used on screens. And so they go into like all of the great things this can do, like detecting for certain types of cancer. But then they up it on the sci-fi level by talking about how there's potential down the line for them to explore how this polymer can be used in brain machine interfaces and maybe even into incorporating AI into the human brain, which is the part where I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I want like <laughs> AI in my brain. And of course they go into talking about like, well, you know, futuristic Terminator like cyborgs are still like in the realm of science fiction. But then of course there's the the note that the field, this field of research is rapidly evolving. And they talk about some of the ways in which these sorts of ideas are already being explored and they're really excited about seeing how far they can take this polymer. And I just thought it was fascinating for anybody else who is at once really interested in a lot of the technological advances that are sort of posited by science fiction novels, but at the same time, absolutely terrified by what they might bring because again, We've read some science fiction books. <laughs> so it's a really interesting piece if if you're feeling extra nerdy and you want to read about polymers. It's actually a really short, easy to digest article. So highly recommend it. Do not recommend the horrible descriptions of the brain because these adjectives are awful. But there you go. <laughs> Yeah, this was super interesting, um, especially when, you know, they talk about how it's going to help things like pacemakers mm -hmm. be more reliably integrated into the body or cochlear implants. Um, so it's not just brains. It's like yeah. other like integrating uh, life assisting devices with organic tissue, which like obviously, yes, like pacemakers and cochlear implants are like, I actually think. They are kind of cyborgy already in a, in an interesting low key way, um, but it, it is. I do get nervous the more, like the farther you push it, you're like, oh, what's gonna happen? Um, <laughs> that being said, like the Terminator movies are some of my favorite, like <laughs> sci fi, you know, franchise in escape, especially the most recent one, which I love. I still haven't watched um, it. I have. Oh to watch man. It now. 
You gotta watch it. It's we have to talk about it. Okay. It's it's not perfect. No, nothing <laughs> is perfect, but it's pretty fun and it does some exciting things. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't want to say too much more uh, <laughs> about it, but it's great. So yeah, so so I mean I'm both like excited and terrified, like as always with the, with this kind of science stuff. That's just my sort of place that I land. <laughs> yeah, excited for all the helpful things it can do because these are definitely important advances that are probably overdue. So yeah, yeah. So let's get into our last news piece, which is something that I think looks really cool. And I'm not, I I dabble with RPG, tabletop RPGs, and I, I tend to stay away from MMOs online because, you know, limited time and attention span. And like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I'm afraid that I'll get obsessed and never resurface. <laughs> But this is very tempting. There is a Kickstarter for the Wagadu Chronicles, which is an Afro-fantasy MMO for roleplay. This is super interesting. So what these creators have done is they love the action of role-playing so much um, that they have developed both a 5e tabletop RPG and are developing it as an MMO for online character role play because you know most of the like your World of Warcraft etc mm-hmm. don't actually really involve you actively role playing right you're like you know steering your character around and doing the quests and things but you're not talking like your characters you're not sort of immersing yourself as verbally in the world as you do when you tabletop game play and they want to bring that active role playing into MMOs. So they have designed a pan African inspired fantasy world. Um, it takes uh, inspiration from a lot of different African cultures and it has like music and mythology and all kinds of really beautiful artwork. Um, the team is an inclusive team that includes folks from the African diaspora as well as some other folks. And it just looks looks like a fascinating project and it's already backed but it's open until October 30th so you still have time to get in on this if that sounds interesting for you this is definitely dangerous for me (laughs) I'm looking at it I was I think I've mentioned before that I was absolutely obsessed with World of Warcraft when Mm -hmm. it came out and had to make a concerted effort to force myself off of it so that I could live Mm. a life in the real world. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm looking at these images and the, the little sample of, you know, the computer game and what the in-world experience is like. And I'm like, I can't. I can't. I will definitely <laughs> fall into this trap because it's gorgeous. Like it's yeah. The designs, like if you look at the images and the the character designs, I am completely I'm already obsessed and also like want to live in this world. <laughs> it's it really is gorgeous. It's really gorgeous. And I love I love this multidisciplinary approach, right? Like thinking about it both from a tabletop and an MMO perspective. Yeah. Because I don't I haven't really seen anybody do 
that in this exact way before. And and I do believe, I mean, they said this in the video, and as far as I'm aware, it is the first Afro-fantasy MMO that will be available. I'm sure there are others being developed probably, but mm-hmm. I haven't heard about them and I haven't seen anything Um so that's exciting. It's just exciting. It's exciting on a bunch of levels. And oh my God, the art is stunning. It's really gorgeous. So, so. stunning. I just want to like have, can I get some prints so that I could just put them on my wall? Like I don't necessarily, yeah, right. I can't play the game, but I would love to have the art on my walls. I feel like this is the kind of thing where I buy the 5e lore book just yeah. to like look at it, right? Yes. Like just to have it, you know. Uh, so anyway, so that's on Kickstarter. Uh, link is in the show notes. Again, that's the Wagadu Chronicles. So yes, you'll definitely want to check that out. Good find. Thank you. All right, let us do another sponsor and then get into our favorite books of the last quarter. So our next sponsor is Saga Press, publishers of speculative fiction like Stephen Graham Jones's The Only Good Indians, Rebecca Roanhorse's Black Sun, which, side note, I'm reading right now, and more. And the book they are highlighting today is Machine by Elizabeth Baer, a new space opera perfect for fans of Anne Leckie and Becky Chambers. It's filled with inventive science and riveting action scenes and follows scientist Dr. Jens as she uncovers a dangerous mystery involving an ancient spaceship, a crew suffering from an unidentifiable contagion, uh and a decaying AI ship mind. Unable to resist a good mystery, Dr. Jens dives in and makes shocking discoveries about these anomalies, as well as her own life. That is coming from Saga Press. It's Machine by Elizabeth Bear. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. Oh, goodness. Okay, so <laughs> like a week ago, I was like, Sharifa, I don't know how to pick my favorite. Like, how do I... <laughs> How do I narrow it down? I will say it helped that you picked one of the books I was tormented about. So, like, how to narrow down. So, yes, so you did me a solid there. Um, So that gave me more room for other books. But I've restrained myself. I'm only cheating the littlest bit. Okay. Well, I felt bad because of all quarters, this quarter that was jam-packed with great new science fiction and fantasy, I was like... I'm going to do some backlist reading catch up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the irony of burns. No, no, I support you. Um, It was a really good quarter, though, y'all. It was a super good quarter. I mean, September is always a big month in in publishing, and it was a big month for sci-fi and fantasy as well. So, all right, so let me just, like, start actually talking about a book here. My (laughs) first pick is, it's sort of sci-fi, if you consider superheroes sci-fi, which I do, generally Mm -hmm. speaking. Um, It's Hench by Natalie Zena Walshots. And this book comes with some content warnings for body horror, medical trauma, PTSD, and panic attacks. So the main character in this book, her name is Anna, and she works for, like, a villain temp agency, kind of? <laughs> like, she, she, like, is office help for criminals because <laughs> it's the work that she can find, which is it's just, like, a fascinating concept from the get-go. And in the course of one of these temp jobs, 
Uh, like, she's a numbers person. She does spreadsheets. But she ends up getting asked to, like, accompany a team on this, like, villainous mission. And she's she doesn't think she's actually going to, like, do any villaining. She's just, you know... She's just trying to get her paycheck. Uh, But the villain mission goes horribly wrong and is, you know, superheroes show up and a huge fight happens. And she is like seriously injured by a hero, sort of as like in passing almost like he didn't even notice her, basically. But but just being in the same room as him and encountering him leaves her extremely injured um, she uh, ends up with a chronic leg condition and her life is, you know, extremely derailed by this encounter. Um, and she and then, of course, other people die and she gets laid off and she's stuck at home, you know, trying to do her PT and like deal with the emotional fallout from this. And because she's a spreadsheet person, she starts tabulating the injuries and like devastation that heroes leave behind in their, you know, quote unquote, good doing. And it's, you know, it's basically it becomes an obsession. Her her best friend is like, I'm afraid for you, like you need to stop doing this. But she just can't help herself. And it brings her to the intention of a supervillain who then brings her on board and is like, I just want to see what you can do with more resources. And the things that then happen are just like this. It really does play with the superhero genre in a fascinating way. And I know I'm not the only one because I've seen these, you know, tweets and pieces online where like you watch, you know, for example, an Avengers movie and you see, you know, the buildings crumble and the people like getting crushed and, you know, the cars getting flung around and the mm-hmm. Hulk is like smashed through a bunch of buildings. I mean, you know, the like famously this is dealt with in, in um, the Segovia Accords is what they're called uh, in uh, the Avengers movies, I think. But anyway, this really dives super deep into that particular aspect of the superhero, you know, collateral damage and its impact on the lives of the people who experience that damage. And like, what if you could do something about it? Like, what if you could mess with superheroes and like (laughs) make their lives kind of miserable in payback for the damage that they've done to, you know, bystanders and people who did not deserve to be caught in this crossfire. It's a really fascinating premise. It goes some pretty dark places, but it's also that kind of dark humor. It's very, like, sort of shockingly funny at certain moments. (laughs) Um, Some of her dates that, like, she goes on, you're just like, oh, my God, I can't. This is too much. Um, (laughs) But it's really it's really well done. And it made me really uncomfortable in a good way. I was like, oh, am I IDing with, like, these, you know, villains? Like, am I in sympathy with villains? Like, do I think this hero is bad? Like, I don't even know. It was super weird mind trip that I definitely recommend. I also want to shout out, I mean to leave a link to this in the show notes, but um, Walshots did a If Dr. Doom Was Your Boyfriend post that had me in tears. So, like, she clearly has a fascination with, you know, villains and is very good at uh, sharing that fascination with others. So, yeah, if you... 
If you like dark humor, if you like different takes on superheroes, if any of that, you know, sounds interesting and exciting to you, I highly recommend Hench by Natalie Zena Walshutz. I'm going to have to read that article because I'm ready for a laugh about some yeah. of this stuff. <laughs> All right, well, my first pick is a multiverse story. It's The Space Between Worlds by Micaiah Johnson. And I read this because people were talking it up so much, and it sounded like the perfect thing to read right now. And what a great read it was. So this story has it all. It has queer romance, world building, surprising twists, and some complex characters. And then there's also, of course, this really fascinating traversing technology at the center of the story i just found the whole thing compelling from beginning to end so the story is told by our protagonist kara who's a traverser whose job it is to travel to worlds and she's traveling to worlds where other karas drop like flies uh, because of all sorts of perils and these are Karas who who often meet really horrible and violent deaths. So not a small thing. And multiverse travel is made possible by this company, the Eldridge Institute. And traversers like her are thought to only exist in one world in this world Kara now calls home. And where she works for the Institute with her handler, Dell. And Dell is this really... A cool cat who has everything Kara doesn't, which is to say privilege. And as a traverser, Kara lives in Wiley City rather than the Wastes where she was born and raised. But then there's this sharp divide between the classes, even in Wiley City. And Kara would never be mistaken for someone born and raised in Wiley City. There are all sorts of markers and things that... People know when somebody is from Wiley's city. And her apartment, for instance, is also located on the lower levels while Dell's is high up above the city. And th- this distance between them is much more than physical, which is kind of a problem since Kara also happens to be very, very into very, very aloof Dell. And then... Kara's troubles go beyond these matters of the heart. There's also this problem of her doppelgangers and their deaths make her job as a traverser easier. But, you know, I think anybody would be a little bit concerned if it seemed like the universe was determined to pick them off no matter what world or what situation they find themselves in because one of the fascinating things about traveling to different worlds is that Kara kind of gets some insight into the paths her doppelgangers take and their personalities and how they adapt based on the directions they go in and what they pursue. And there do seem to be some similarities and connections in their storylines, like that they call the Waste their home and who they call family. And then there's also this past love interest who threatens the life and livelihood of many a Kara. And when Kara goes digging for information about herself, she ends up learning much more than she bargained for. And this new knowledge ends up challenging everything she knows about traversing. Like she even begins to question who she should call an enemy and who she can claim as a friend. 
And I just found this book to be a total ride and a real adventure. And I love a good adventure story. It also features a truly diverse cast of characters. I thought the world building also did a really great job of showing this, these deep class divides that pervaded these worlds. And I thought the story also illustrated just how difficult that divide made it for anyone to come up in the world and, and kind of claim stability and safety. And it also showed the importance of community in a place like The Waste, which was home to some of my favorite characters. There were even depictions of sex work that didn't follow the same tired tropes and, you know, didn't set out to disparage, which I really appreciated. And there was also, I felt at least, a bit of a Mad Max feel about the workings mm. of the waste. There was this whole aesthetic there. If you if you read it, you might you might pick up on it. And I also just love Kara, even though she wasn't the best communicator and wasn't the most honest <laughs> character all the time, even with herself. She had this like survival instinct that was obviously really necessary, but also made her her life kind of difficult. And the good thing about how close she kept to the vest was that you learn more and more about her as the story progressive uh, progresses, which also I thought worked well for the twisty nature of the plot. And so, you know, I should mention that there is trigger warnings here for physical abuse, specifically taking place in a relationship. And if you are somebody who just steers clear of uh, sort of explicit descriptions of some truly horrible things happening to people and gruesome content... Uh, just know that there is that in this book. But I think if you're looking for a great multiverse adventure with action-packed moments and romance and plot twists and you don't mind some pretty gruesome moments, you should definitely check out The Space Between Worlds again by Micaiah Johnson. This was the one I was so glad you picked. I thought because, so. <laughs> yeah, I accidentally read this book in one setting. Like, I wow. just did not. I've sat down uh, to read it just like a couple of chapters. And like, you know, four hours later, I was still up and, you know, had to finish it, um, which hasn't happened to me in a while. And yeah, I just want to co-sign everything you said. It was so such an interesting take on the multiverse. The characters were so strong. The world building was so interesting. Mm -hmm. What a book. What a book. So good. Uh, let's see. So I, I, this is where I'm going to cheat just a little bit. I just want to remind everyone that the second book in the Chilling Effect series by Valerie Valdez is out. It's called Prime Deceptions. And speaking of world building, this book and the adventure, the continued adventures <laughs> of Captain Eva Innocente and the crew of La Serena Negra are so much fun and expand the world in this really delightful way. And there's like a Pokemon-inspired subplot in here that I just had me cracking up. Like, I loved it. I loved it. So if you were a fan of the first book, like, you need to get yourself book number two. So. Okay. I count myself. That's my brief that. cheater pitch for Prime Deceptions by Valerie Valdez. And now, now I will do... <laughs> My fantasy pick, which is Each of Us a Desert by Mark Oshiro. I am a fan of Oshiro's writing from way back. And this new book is amazing. It is... 
like I, I'm like, like, how do I, how do I want to talk about this? So it takes place in a desert uh, fantasy world. That is, it's not our world, but it's inspired by. And, um, and, and it, it is a sort of post collapse. So the inhabitants of this, this desert world know that like at some point in the past, you know, things were different, but they like humanity messed it all up like they always do. And they are living in the aftermath of that. And the main character, Zoe, is a Quintista, which is a like sort of religious and also sort of magical role in the village where uh, she can absorb the guilts and um, sadnesses and, you know, negative feelings of the others in her village. And it's important that she does this because if left to sit for too long, they can turn into these malevolent shadow beings. Uh, And so her entire life is in service to others. She is, you know, a teenager. She's had this role for some years when the story starts. And basically her entire life is people, you know, handing over their dark secrets to her so that she can, you know, return them to the to the earth um, and to the sun, which is, you know, has religious significance and uh, and and, you know, take their burdens from them. But of course, there's nobody to shoulder her burdens. She is just sort of has to deal with this and she's very aware that this is you know it's very hard on her it has a physical and mental and emotional toll but she just doesn't see any other options and then the there are these um sort of invaders who come to town, these bandits, and they take over and they, you know, violently subdue the town for their town's water. And they, you know, start rationing it out to the townspeople. And uh, the leader of this crew has a daughter named Amelia, who seems to, you know, not be doing anything to help the situation. Um, And Zoe uncovers a secret that uh, is related to the arrival of these bandits in the town. And so she ends up going off on an adventure um, and ends up going on that adventure with Amelia. And neither of them are who the other thinks. And they have to join forces and, you know, start uncovering truths about the world that are that have been buried for Lots of reasons. And it is such a journey, y'all. Like, ooh, it is such <laughs> an emotional and physical journey. Um, I, You know, when I read this book, I think about, like, you feel like you're, like, plodding under the hot desert and, like, where will you find water? And are you going to run out of food or get dehydrated? And, you know, Zoe is so, she's so aware of how to exist in the desert and Amelia is so lost. And uh, watching them sort of help each other in these different ways is really powerful. And then watching them help each other, you know, unfold the secrets of their individual pasts is so intense. And oh my goodness, like I just have so many feelings about this book, just the most feelings mm-hmm. about this book. Uh, I think it's, 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 it's a must read as far as I'm concerned for this year. Um, the world building is fascinating. The characters are so compelling and yeah, it's it's a ride. It's a ride. So again, that's Each of Us a Desert by Mark Oshiro. 
That sounds amazing. I will have to get my hands on it. Yes. Did I give? Did I remember to give the content warnings? I don't think I did. Actually, no, um, I don't think so. So, so yeah, so Egypt of the Desert, it does go some dark places. Uh, there is an abusive parent and there is a fair amount of graphic violence. So, you know, just be aware of that going in. Okay, well, my last pick is a magical boarding school story. <laughs> and it squeaked in just, just at the end of the quarter. And it's a deadly education by none other than Naomi Novik. And Naomi Novik, Novik has written some of my favorites, like Uprooted and Spinning Silver, namely. And a deadly education is similar to those stories in some ways, but so, so very different in most ways. And one thing I love about her books, the ones I've read at least, is that they feature women who know who they are and act accordingly. Like they don't try to modify themselves to make other people more comfortable, even if it could mean an easier sort of life. And Elle is that turned up to 11. She's this student at Sholomance, which by the way, not to go on a tangent, but I just recently learned is an actual fabled school of black magic in Transylvania that may have provided, actually did provide some inf inspiration for Bram Stoker's Dracula. So that's the next the, rabbit hole. The thing I keep wondering, is it, is it Sholomance or Scholomance? Maybe it's like scholar. I, I don't know though. I don't know. I haven't heard anybody say it out loud. Until now. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I read the audiobook, so you would think I would know, but I'm trying to recall how they say it, and I can't remember. <laughs> All right. TBD. TBD. This school, an academy for the magically gifted. And this is an academy unlike many you have likely read about because it doesn't have teachers. All it has is this really rigid structure and death traps around every corner. Like, you can't go to the buffet without fearing death. So there's a reference to Lord of the Flies in this book that I found fitting, just to give you a sense of how this school feels in tone. And Elle is in 11th grade when we meet her. So this isn't at the start of her education. And she's friendless. She's really salty. And by all accounts, she seems evil. But what she actually is, is misunderstood and truly unwilling to waste her time explaining herself to get people to like her. Or at least like her enough to help her survive these really brutal final years at school, at this school where every year leads to worse and worse dangers until the ultimate horror that is graduation. And so on the other side of the ring, you have Orion, who's the picture of the chosen one trope. He's looked upon as a savior and a hero by all of the students. And for reason, he does save a lot of students which creates another challenge that you learn about. And he actually has fans and hangers on and people like that around him. But Elle is not here for it. To her, he's annoying and privileged and in her way. But this chance event throws them together and Orion's surprised to find someone at the school who doesn't suck up to him. 
<laughs> and I just love that Elle is set up as this villain, like the sort of evil character in these magical boarding school stories where you usually find her lurking around the corner or bullying the freshmen in in another sort of these stories and that we get to know her personally it's the story is told from her perspective and through that she gets to express things about herself that she kind of refuses to say aloud and she's really sarcastic and tired and irritated with everyone and everything which I feel like maybe maybe could be grating to some people, but I personally loved it. <laughs> and I also love that the school student body is composed of kids from all over the world. And I mean, it was really nice to see that representation, but also once you know what kind of a school this is, you kind of want to tell all the students to get out and never look back. <laughs> so the story surprised me in a lot of ways. It wasn't what I thought it'd be at all, maybe because the original synopsis actually was quite different from what the story is, but also because I'm not used to coming into these magical st school stories so late in the game. And I will say that there's quite a bit of explaining that happens throughout the story so that we understand how the school and the world of the magically gifted and mundanes, that's you and me, how they work. Hmm. And also so that we know Elle's backstory. And the focus of the story really is on alliances and the haves versus the have-nots, as well as this really great story about friendship and how important it is. And this is the first book in a series. I wasn't too bothered by the info dumps because I found the school and its hierarchies really fascinating. But I am really curious about whether the pacing will be different in the second book when we'll be more familiar with the world going in, I guess. So... Really great book for anybody who loves sarcastic humor and really dark stories. Again, I've been talking about A Deadly Education by Naomi Novik. Nice. Very nice. So fun. And I... Uh... Yeah, that's our show. Um, Asavavia is sound edited by D.R. Baker. Many thanks to them for making us sound good, even when there is interminable <laughs> construction next door. Um, thank you all for listening. You can shoot us an email at sffya at bookriot.com. You can review us on Apple Podcasts, which we super appreciate. It helps other folks to find this show. And you can find us online in between shows. Uh, Sharifa, where are you? I'm on Instagram at Sina Williams. That's S-C-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And I am also mostly on Instagram these days at I am Jen IRL. That's I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.